Thank you for listening to audio from Gospel Community Church in Eugene, Oregon. For more information about our church or our Sunday services, please visit gccugene.org. Good morning, Gospel Community Church and everyone tuning in this morning. Happy Mother's Day. Thank you, Dana, for making that beautiful uh, video and saying that prayer for all of our moms. So for all the moms out there, happy Mother's Day. We are celebrating with you today, even as we uh, have our Mother's Day service and our time via live stream. So we're honored to get to celebrate with you. We're honored to get to celebrate with our moms. We know that from uh, uh, some Mother's Day is a um, is it can be a sorrowful time. It can be a joyous time, and so there's a lot of emotions around it. And so here in a minute, I'm going to pray again and, and say um, another prayer as we get into the sermon. But I, I I know that's a reality for some. So for the moms out there, thank you. Thank you for the hard work that you do. Thank you for discipling your children day in and day out, and thank you for the impact you're making in your children's lives. And so we want to honor you and thank you for that, and just say Happy Mother's Day. So with that, we're going to continue to dive into our series today. Um, we're diving back into our series, I should say, titled Saints in Society. Saints in Society is something that we were working through uh, pre-COVID, and we were working through the letter t- uh, to, uh, the first, uh, to the Corinthians. And so uh, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and so that's where we will pick up again today in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, because that's where we left off. So this series is titled Saints in Society, and here's why. We understand this, that Paul addresses at the very beginning of the letter the saints that are in Corinth. And saints actually mean set apart or holy ones. And so we understand that to become a saint is not something that we arrive at by, uh, by our performance or by our own merit, but we, it's something we arrive at by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ. It's not something earned or achieved, but something given solely by grace. And so we understand that we are given this new identity uh, as saints. So we're transferred from darkness to light or from sinners to saints. And so now what Paul is saying, here's what it looks like to live in to your identity, but also to live out of your identity into society. And so that's where we're at. We've seen Paul address first uh, uh, through the first four chapters, unity. And as Todd Miles says, that it seems that there's nothing that, may, uh, that makes God more grumpy than disunity inside of the local church. And so he spends four chapters talking about that, that first. Next, we see him transfer in and start talking about morality and, and um, all different forms of morality. And he spends the next two chapters on that. And today, as a final warning to our parents, Paul is talking about sex. And in chapter seven, he's going to be talking about sex and marriage and singleness. And so parents, we've tried to give uh, enough warning or, or some warning last week. And then in a video we sent out. So this is your final warning that if you're not ready to have this conversation with your kiddos, then you can uh, turn off right now and just tune in later because that's what we're going to be talking about as that's what the text is about today in First Corinthians. So turn with me, if you would, to First Corinthians chapter seven, as we dive into saints and society and we look at marriage, sex, and singleness. I want to say this, that at the end of this sermon, we're going to do a live Q&A, and I'm going to have my wife come up and join us today as we answer questions that come in throughout the sermon uh, in, in regard to uh, what the sermon is about. So about sex, about covenant, about marriage, and, and, and all of that. So if you have a question, please text your question in to the number that is located on your screen. We will Uh, as best as we can, as quickly as we can, move through those questions as they come in. So please text in. You can text in throughout the sermon. Full permission to text um, as you listen in to the sermon. If there's something you have a question about, something you want clarity on, we want to do our best to try to tackle those questions. The questions that we aren't able to tackle, then we will uh, do our best to tackle them in email this week and send uh, a response out that way. And so, yep, just text those in, and we look forward to addressing those at the end of the sermon. So with that, let's pray as we dive back into this. A sermon on Mother's Day, Saints and Society. Father, we know this. <clears throat> we know that you are good. We know that you are faithful. 
We know that you are steadfast and we know that we can put the full weight and assurance of our lives in you. We, we, we can stake everything, not on what we are uh, left to do, not in our performance, not in our actions, not in our words or deeds. We can stake everything, our entire existence, the, the, the sheer weight uh, of everything in what Christ has done for us. I pray that every mom hears that this morning and knows that at the core of who they are, if they put their trust and faith in you, that they are a child and they are a daughter above everything else. As parents, we are fickle and we are up and down. Our emotions are everywhere. But at the end of the day, who we are stays true because you stay true and we are securely held in Christ. Father, I know that in our world and in our society, there's so much going on. There's, there, there, there's so much anxiety. There's, uh, there's so much trauma. There's so much hurt. And we know that, uh, that even for Wanda Cooper-Jones today, who's, who's grieving the loss of her son, we pray that you would comfort her as she grieves her son and the loss of her son. As um, people are uh, just going through the pandemic right now are, are, are suffering from loss, Father, and feeling isolation as they grieve or as they suffer, we pray that their greatest comfort would be found in you. Lord, we pray for the Patrick family, for Darren uh, Patrick's wife, Amy, as they suffer the loss of their father. She enters Mother's Day looking so much different. We pray that you would bring them comfort. We pray you would also instill a sense of joy and celebration now to our mothers all across the world that labor um, at being moms. But we pray you would speak to us and teach us by and through your word, not through my opinions, not through uh, clever speech, through your word, shape us, teach us, convict us, and lead us to Christ to have a better understanding of sex this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Understand that it's a, it's a, it might be an interesting subject to teach on sex on Mother's Day, but we would understand this, that uh, sex is, 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 a gift that is, a, is a gift that we are intended to enjoy. It is a pleasurable gift, but it is also a gift that is given for uh, procreation. It is a gift that is given so we can be fruitful and multiply. It is a gift that God uh, gave for both of those reasons, for pleasure and for procreation. And so moms become moms through sex. And so uh, sadly, sex is not oftentimes talked about inside of homes today and, in, and, and often inside of Christian homes or inside of the church. And so it's, it's, it's almost a, we will talk discipleship and we will talk about all different forms of discipleship, but we avoid this one. Even to say the word sex is hard for us to say without laughing or without snickering or uh, without smiling inside of the Christian church. And so there's so little talk. The problem with that is, is there's not such little talk in our culture. Our culture has a lot to say about sex. It has a lot of influence about sex. And so sadly, like I said, this is a subject that, uh, that, that people don't, the church doesn't, and many homes don't touch on or talk about um, because uh, quite frankly, oftentimes we don't understand what the biblical meaning of sex is or even how to engage in this conversation. And so, uh, so I remember the deep, the really robust, deep, meaningful conversation my dad had with me. Uh, all seven words as he sat me down on the edge of my bed and said, keep it in your pants, my boy. That was, that, was, that, was, that was our sex talk. And, and then I know for some parents, the sex talk looks like scaring your kids and, and um, uh, engaging in any sort of sexual activity can lead to blindness or your private parts falling off or you name it, this is the kind of stuff that, 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 that is talked about and that is thrown out and that is used as a scare tactic to try to get kids not to have sex before marriage. And so our only understanding, sadly, with all that to say of sex is 
don't do it, which can then form itself into something that becomes dirty, not holy and good and righteous as God has deemed it in its right setting. And so with that, we understand that's what we're entering into. We have a lot of this going on. Paul has a lot of this going on with, with cultural views of sex in his time. And so we, we want to be faithful to what the word says. So let's read it and then we'll walk through it. So 1 Corinthians chapter 7, uh, verses 1 through 5. Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does, does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer but then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. It's the word of God, and this is what Paul has to say. And we'll say this jumping in, that Paul's not creating new ideas. Paul is teaching on sex from his teaching that he understands in the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, uh, and from the Song of Songs and from uh, Proverbs. And so Paul is not creating new ideas. He's saying what's been lost or what's been forgotten. And what we need to say again today is what's been lost or what's been forgotten. So the main point is this is that covenant sex is safe sex. Covenant sex is safe sex. So that's our main point for today as we dive in. Verse one, Paul is quoting a common saying that was being thrown around by the Corinthians. And so this saying is, if you look at it, it's in quotations here. It says, uh, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. So someone either told Paul this, this was believed uh, by the Corinthians, it was believed by the church, it was believed by people. So this is a saying that was thrown about, okay? And so Paul is addressing this in this letter. And he's saying, I know you guys say this, I've heard this said. So we need to understand what Paul was up against in first century Corinth, is there was kind of two big views of sex. There was Platonism and then there was Gnosticism. Gnosticism. And these two differences are this. Platonism says this, is that the physical world and the physical body is dirty. And then so the, the only reason you should have sex is for procreation. And so sex is only seen as a necessary evil for procreation. If you're a Gnostic, then this is what you believe, that all physical matter was an accident created by a lesser God, and all physical matter is completely evil, and so your physical bodies don't matter. They're not gonna be resurrected. Nothing like that is gonna happen, contrary to what the Bible says. And so what you can do is just have full liberty with your body to do whatever you want, and sex is just, uh, it's a physical appetite. So that's what Paul's working with. There's this, there's this sex is dirty, and then there's liberate yourself and do whatever you want with sex. And we deal with the same stuff in our culture today. It, it's the same thing that Paul was dealing with. And so today, just like then, many people see sex as just a physical uh, craving, appetite, like hunger. And so whenever you feel that, then you need to satisfy your hunger. Paul was dealing with that, but he was also dealing with the Platonists. And this sounds like something that the Platonists would say. Is it just sex is, is not good at all? You shouldn't have sex unless it's for procreation. So it is not good to have sexual relations with the woman. It's just like this big blanket statement. Paul's like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Verse two. But because of the temptation of sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. So where does Paul start? When, when the saying is going on in uh, Corinth, when, when, when this is thrown around, what does Paul do? How does he address the saying? What Paul does is he goes to a covenant. He goes to a covenant marriage. He says, but because of the temptation of sexual morality, each woman should have his own wife and each 
woman her own husband. This is not Paul's uh, big work on marriage. We can see Ephesians 5. He has a lot more to say there. Actually, this is more about sex, having and giving yourself to one another. But what Paul says is this is where he starts with. Because of temptation, because of this pull towards sexual immorality, each man should have his wife and each wife should have her husband. So he starts with a covenant and he starts with a covenant marriage. So that's where Paul starts. And that's where we need to start. Because if we don't start with a covenant and, and, and a covenant uh, of, uh, of, of, of understanding of God's robust covenant with us, then what we will do is we will see sex as something that we can use to manipulate or something we can gain approval from. And so Paul starts with covenant, covenant of marriage. This is going to be weird for just a second. I'm going to have to move through this quickly because of time. But our best way to understand covenant and God's covenant with us is through a story in, in Genesis with God's covenant to Abraham. So in Genesis 15, we see this interesting scene. Where, where Abraham's questioning God. He's like, how will I know you'll be faithful? How will I know you'll be faithful? <clears throat> and so God says, do this. Cut up some animals. Cut up all these animals, and, and, and we're going to make a covenant. Abraham didn't question this. He understood this because this was common back then. This is what people did. This is what kings would do with one another to make an agreement. And this is also sometimes what kings would make a servant do. And what they would say is this. As these animals have been cut up, torn apart and blood has been shed and they are split, we will walk between them back and forth. And if one of us breaks our covenant, then let this be done to us. And so Abraham cuts up the animals and he waits and he waits and he waits and he waits and nothing happens until nighttime. So evening uh, comes, uh, the sun sets, it gets dark and he falls not into just a sleep, but a deep sleep. So basically Abraham's as good as dead. And then this vision comes and we see God as a flaming pot and a, and, a, and a torch pass through, which we know from the Exodus account and stuff. This is God. God is passing through this. He's passing through the split up animals. What God is doing is making a statement, which would be completely shocking when the story ends. God passes through the end. Nothing happens. People would have waited. Well, what about Abraham? When's Abraham going to walk through? What God was saying is this, this covenant is not contingent upon you and your actions and your walking back and forth. This covenant is contingent upon me and me walking back and forth. If I break my covenant with you and if I break my covenant with Israel, so let this be done to me. Let me be torn apart. Let me be uh, broken. Let my blood be shed. And so God is saying that. And then God also says, look, in Deuteronomy, he says, look, it's not because of your mighty numbers or because of your strength that I am committed to you. It's because of my love for you that I, that, that, that I make my oath with you, that I make my covenant with you. And so we understand that God's covenant is a covenant that he makes, not based upon our response, not based upon even our uh, fickle emotions. God makes this covenant with us based upon his grace, based upon his goodness, based upon his faithfulness. And so when Abraham starts talking about man and woman and marriage, what he's understanding in this big robust view is a covenant marriage, not one where if you do this and you hold up your end and I do this and I hold up my end, then we will both hold up our end. But a covenant of grace is what our marriage is supposed to uh, reflect. And inside of this, here's where we come back to this. The reason we start here is because it is not safe to give yourself outside of a covenant like this. And here's why. I know some of you guys have myself included. Um, so I, I, I will get to that and I will address this. But let's say this, that covenant sex is safe sex because what it's saying is, uh, is, is countercultural in this. Our, our culture says, 
you need to test drive a car or wear the jeans or do whatever before you buy them. A covenant says this, I am committed to you based upon a covenant of grace, not based upon anything you do. I am committing myself to you. Whether you perform well in bed, whether you perform awful in bed, my love for you is not contingent upon sex and how well you perform and how well you meet my needs. My love for you is solely contingent upon the covenant that I've made with you that reflects God's covenant with us. Not a covenant of works, a covenant of grace. And so our, fickles, our, our, our emotions are fickle. They go up and down. They're all over the place. But when we question how we feel, then what we remember is this, is that I'm committed to you because of covenant, not because of my emotions, not because of anything else, but because of covenant. So when you do, when you understand this, and this is where sex thrives, then we can actually have a, a, a trustworthy, safe experience for sex because you know that even if you don't, uh, perform the way that your spouse might like or something like that. You have this safety and the security of a comfort, of fierce, deep commitment. And so that's where Paul starts. We're gonna have to move quickly through this because there's no way I can hit all this extensively. Um, but then he says this, verse three, the husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. This is, this is beautiful. The husband should give. The husband should give. Oftentimes when our culture thinks about sex, we think about pleasure and what I can get out of it. And, and so what we do is we don't enter sex with a picture of the gospel or of grace, which is solely giving, not taking, but, but, but we enter in with what can I get out of this? And so when we enter uh, sex, what we think about is this is the kind of pleasure I would like. This is the kind of experience I would want. Paul says nothing when he starts talking about sex about making demands and what you get and, and what I want. He says that it is all about giving. And imagine this, if both people arrive inside of this covenant to have sex and, and both people are only thinking about what I can get out of it and taking, is that a true picture of the gospel? And what that also does is make us very self-protective if I think that the only thing you're doing is trying to get or take something from me for your own personal needs. And so Paul is saying that, look, th 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 this, is, this is what it's all about right here. It's about giving. Man giving to his wife, not just for procreation, but give her her pleasure that she may desire too, and likewise the wife to her husband, giving. Notice he doesn't say what our culture says. Honey, if you're not getting the, uh, uh, if he's not performing, if he's not meeting your needs, don't give him. Uh, don't give him his needs, don't take care of him, uh, don't give him the milk, hold out, keep back, whatever the sayings are, don't give him anything until he performs. Like, he's slacking in all these areas, don't meet his needs. And what Paul is saying, actually, if we talk about sex, the, the, it, it's not a demand. The very first thing is about grace. It's about a picture of the gospel. Um, it's about giving to someone. Notice it also doesn't say, um, I don't feel like my body's being praised. I don't feel like all my emotional needs are getting met. I don't feel like my, uh, you are singing praise over to me. Those are good things, but notice it doesn't start with any demands or anything that I should be getting, period. And I hope, I hope that in the Christian faith, more and more our sex reflects the gospel and grace, not what I can get out of it, because this is how Paul starts with give, that we are called to give. Next, verse four says this, for the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. <clears throat> Scholars said this, this is arguably the most shocking verse in the New Testament. Here's the reason why. It was a patriarchal society. So when you read the first part, you would go, well, yeah, uh, a wife doesn't have authority over her body. The husband does. But, but then what Paul says is so scandalous. He says, but just the same, sexual equality the man doesn't have authority over his body, but the woman does. This is from Song of Songs. I am my beloved's and my beloved's is mine. And so like Paul is saying the same thing that was said 
in, in, in that uh, poem. And so that's what he's addressing. That's what he's saying. And here is what we have to understand is that first we're arriving with this giving, but what we're also doing is saying this is that what I have is yours and what you have is mine. Because what Christ did is he showed up and said, look, let me have uh, what's yours, your sin, your impurity, your imperfection, and I will give you what's mine, my purity, my righteousness, and my perfection through faith. And so he makes this exchange, and, and actually sex is a picture of that, where we say, look, what I have is yours, and what you have is mine. There's not this demand, there's not this taking, and here's the thing. We can read magazine after magazine, uh, read tip after tip, and, and there's all scientific studies now that, that say that sex should last, uh, it, it's like 5.4 uh, minutes, and, and, and uh, these are the 10 positions you should have, and, and these are the top uh, uh, new three positions that you should try. We, we have two arms and two legs. I've said this before. We, we can only mess with our um, um, uh, biology and anatomy so much. We can only get twisted in so many different uh, positions, and sorry if that's too bash for some of you guys, but that's the reality. And so what Paul is actually saying is this, is that we're trying so many things in our culture to try to fix sex and make sex better and make it more pleasurable. But the reality is, is we've gone so far away from what sex was intended to be, where I come in and say, I am yours and you are mine. I will take care of your body and a trust that you will take care of mine. And here's what he's saying. And here's what sex is supposed to be. When we enter sex, we say this, how do I make this the best possible experience for you? And how do do you make this the best possible experience for me? If both people, if both spouses of man and woman enter that way, then it's no longer about how do I get all my needs met, but it's now how do I love and serve and meet your needs as a picture of how Christ came to serve and meet all of our needs. And so that's what Paul is saying. This is what sex is supposed to look like. This is what it's supposed to be. It, it, it's, it's, it, it's this vulnerable act. And I would say that, again, covenant sex is safe sex because this, sex is vulnerable. Sex is, 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 is so vulnerable, it is, I would say, the second most vulnerable thing you can do because you are putting yourself out there, exposing yourself um, with being naked before someone. It is such an act of vulnerability. The first and greatest act of vulnerability is this, is thrusting yourself into the arms of Jesus Christ who knows your every flaw and every imperfection and every blemish and saying, how will I trust with all that is wrong with me that you will love me? How, how can I possibly know with, 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 with all that I've done and all that I've done wrong, with all the shame and all the guilt that I feel, that I can thrust myself into you, that I can throw myself in your arms, that I will be held, I will be secure, I will be embraced, and I will be met with love. And, and Christ's response is this, is that because I know you, I know everything you've done, but more than that, I know what I've done for you. I know what I've made you. I know what I've supplied you, and I know what I've given to you. Yes, you came naked. Yes, you came broken, but here's what I've done. I've covered your nakedness. I've covered your impurity. I've covered your flaws and your blemish, and I've made you unblemished, blameless, as we just saying, by giving you my robe of righteousness through faith. And that's the greatest act of vulnerability. And when we understand the gospel and we understand that's what the gospel is about, then through that and through this level of vulnerability, we can understand this. I can give myself to my spouse because at the end of the day, I'm held by a greater love than, than the love that my, actu uh, that my spouse might give me in return. I, I can enter into sex without sex being a God because I have a greater pleasure, as Psalm 1611 says, in Christ Jesus. And yes, sex is pleasurable for a few minutes, uh, moments, 
But, but the amount of pleasure that we get when we meditate on the gospel, what Christ has provided, that's a pleasure that we're going to enjoy for all of eternity. So sex is actually just this, this, this awesome moment, this glorious moment, this beautiful moment that all about, uh, everything about it reminds us of God's grace, his covenant, and, and the beautiful, glorious gospel that ultimately points us to something that's a greater pleasure found in Christ by God's grace that we will experience for eternity. And so the way that Abraham covenant comes in is this, is that later on in life, uh, uh, thousands of years down the road, a man came. And since every other man has committed adultery, we've sinned and we have fallen short, we've been sexually impure, Christ was not. And so in, 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 in his darkest moment of life, here's what happened, is that though we have all sinned, we are all adulterers, uh, we've all given ourselves away to other gods and bow down and worship them. And so we are all impure. At, 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 at Christ's darkest moment in his life, here's what happens. His, his arms were spread wide. His blood was shed and the sun started to set on the land. The darkness was coming over because God's wrath and punishment for our rebellion and for our sin had come. But it has not come on mankind, it had come on one man. And so what happens is when God makes that promise to Abraham, what he's saying is this is actually what is going to happen. The security that you have in this covenant is what I'm going to do one day. One day I will be on the cross. One day I will be torn. One day my blood will be shed. And by that, by my performance, by my actions, you can have trust and faith that I will never walk away from you. You are held secure. Covenant sex is safe sex because in the end, we have a safety and a security that we are held by God in his covenant with us, with us through the actions and performance and righteousness and blood of Jesus Christ. And with that, he goes in to verse five, which I don't have time to get to today. And so we'll get to it next week. But I will say this, that if you have questions right now, um, and even questions about what we've said, please text those in. But I want to close with this, that I know for many of you, like myself, you are not able to enter into marriage with a purity, uh, so to speak, that you could offer your spouse. And I know for many of us, we feel shameful uh, for things we've done, but we can also feel shame for things that have been done to us. And so I just want to say this with, with, with absolute clarity, that this is what you have. In Christ, you have not what you have done and, and what's been done to you. You are defined by the actions and the work of Christ and what he's given you. What he does is he gives you a greater identity. What he does is he cleanses you and purifies you. We gotta go back to the chapter before that says, you've been washed, cleansed, purified, sanctified, justified. All of your unblemishes removed. So anything that you have done or that's been done to you, what he does, it says, he says this, I've given you something greater. I've given you my love and my righteousness and my ability to cleanse you and heal you and be with you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the picture of, of your covenant with us that we get to see in sex. Let our sex lives reflect not uh, that of the culture, but that of the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. At this time, I think we have a microphone. I'm gonna have my wife come up and we're gonna tackle some of the questions that have come in through Q&A. So here's, here's the rules. We're only gonna do this for a few minutes and we're gonna give each question about 30 seconds. And so um, we'll have her come up and I, I've given them no warning, but uh, would Caleb and Betsy, since you guys are here doing worship, would you guys mind jumping up? So this is as raw as it gets. This is, this is uh, Caleb and Betsy did not have any warning for this. And so they're jumping up here with us. And so um, I'll say this is that uh, I think you guys have been married for how long? 14 years. 14 years. We're nine. Uh, as far as being overly qualified through just 
20, 30, 40 years of marriage, we don't have that. But here's what we have. We have this as this has been an area of contention and struggle in us for our marriage. And so I think our struggle um, somewhat qualifies us, but ultimately the word of God and the gospel is what qualifies us to talk about um, this topic. So as questions come in, whoever feels like they have the best answer for it can point to Jesus. We'll tackle it that way. So number one, how can you have a healthy view of sex in marriage after being raised in the church, having been told sex is bad? Good question. Who wants to take that one? Caleb. Uh, well, I feel like Rick just did a really good job of answering that. Um, and I, I don't know when this text was sent, but I, I would encourage you uh, just to listen through that sermon that he just gave. Again, I mean, I think that was a really uh, succinct and clear explanation of how uh, sex should be looked at. Um, but I, I agree, growing up as a Christian, I, I think I, I think when I got married, you kind of come with like, whoa, is this like okay now? And I, I totally get the question, but I think it, it, change, it takes a little change of um, your mind and understanding of the gospel and, um, and, and God's design for marriage and creating children and all of that to, uh, yeah. Good. Yeah. I think too, just tell yourself to believe the truth about it that it's not bad, that it might take a little conditioning of your mind, but to, I, I know someone who dealt with this when they got married and it was, it took a little while, but it's, and just start even talking about it to yourself now, if you're not married, that it's not bad, that it's to not see it in that lens, but sometimes to, to try to be pure, you think of it that way maybe, to ward off too soon, but, it's good. but try to think of it as what it is, is that it's good in the right context. Good job. Can I real quick say yeah. something? Yep. Um, I never thought, so I grew up in the church, waited till I was married to have sex, all of that, never thought I would think sex is bad or gross. Um, but the enemy knows how to deceive and how to um, plant lies. And so I would piggyback on Betsy and say, reminding yourself of truth and the gospel that even like right before sex, like I am pure in the eyes of God and my husband views me as pure, and so I can go into this, I can go into sex, enjoying it, making it the best for my husband, because that's my identity. My identity is not what I did before sex or what I didn't do before marriage, I mean, so. Good job. Next is, what if you're in a marriage with someone who only takes and sucks life, where you are always giving? I, I'll talk and speak to that. I'll take that one. I would say this. First, I would acknowledge that is really difficult. And I'll say this too, that, that if you're married to a non-Christian and you're a Christian, it's more difficult too because you're coming at this from a Christian view of sex and married to someone who doesn't have that view. And so the reality is this, is that I know that's so difficult, but if we think that the law or something else has the ability to change our spouse, then we believe um, something other than the gospel can change them. And so as hard as it is, I would say that we continue to give grace, which is only going to lead us to the fact that we need more grace because that's really difficult to do. But I would say by giving grace and modeling what grace looks like, and then ultimately giving them grace, but praying and praying and praying for them. And so, yeah. Any other thoughts on that, guys? Is that asking that thing that we're talking about sex or marriage here? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. 
All right, n- number three is what about things other than sex before marriage? So, so just to clarify that I'm pretty confident this is what can I do before I get married? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. How can we toe the line? <laughs> yeah, go ahead, yeah. Bex. <laughs> once I got married and um, I, all that other stuff is really intimate is all I have to say. I, I can't say if it's right or wrong necessarily, but I can say that once I got married and um, it felt similar. And I had been really sexual in my in previous relationships, but n- not had sex necessarily. And so there were times where it just felt just the same. And I think if I would have known that, I would have maybe protected myself more from it, but yeah, it feels uh, similar. I'll, I'll say this. If your question is, what can I do and if the underlining mode is what can I get away with, I think the better question is how do I glorify God in the relationship that I have before marriage, not what can I do or get away with. I think it's just the wrong question to ask. So. Your worship is misdirected. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, let's cover this one. We only have time for one more, and I think this is very practical, so love to hear from everyone. Is What is one hard thing that you wish someone would have... Uh, um, would have the courage to talk to you about before marriage. So in other words, what is one hard thing that you've gone through that you wish maybe someone would have told you or talked to you about or just encouraged you with? So, um, One thing that... Uh, sex doesn't really look like it does in the movies <laughs> and like TV shows. So that's one thing I would say that like, I think, and it's, you know, as consumers of Hollywood productions, you know, we're at fault too, but... Um, it's different, you know? And so I think coming into a marriage and sex with like no expectations or the expectations that I'm just like here to serve my spouse, you know, I think that's a much healthier way to approach sex and marriage. I wish someone were to tell me um, to pay attention to boundaries with the opposite sex. and like I said before, I didn't have sex before marriage, but I was still emotionally intimate with the opposite sex um, and physically intimate. And so I wish someone would just would tell me to tell those boundaries really carefully because they will influence your marriage regardless, whether it's you think you're fine the first year. Yeah, I would say those influence your marriage, any previous relationship. I would say that we put a lot of emphasis on sex and sex is really unifying in a marriage, like when you feel like you're disconnected or when things are are um, off for some reason. Sometimes just having sex fixes it. First, it's like this magical thing. But Amen. All, that to, all that to say, <laughs> it's also something that it's not the crux of your whole marriage in a lot of ways. So I think when I got married to Caleb, there were things I was like, gosh, we should have talked about money more. or We should have talked (laughs) about this and that more. And like, um, and so I think for me, it was, I was really distracted by sex getting married before I was married. And then you get married and you have sex, you know, even if you had sex every day, it's like, doesn't, it's not your whole day. There's a lot more time to spend with somebody. And so try to focus on other things. Too. I think I was just really sex-minded, so, or like fixated on it, and so I think that there are things that we could have done better, at like you know, addressing outside of that, maybe a little more. Yeah. 
Yeah, I would say that I wish someone had painted a more realistic picture of, or, or, or a more realistic picture of what sex could look like. That sex for some people is painful. That that women don't think about sex as much as men do. That it uh, that for them to connect, they need uh, uh, more of an emotional experience. Like that was so foreign to me. Like women connect. Like my wife needs me to ask her how she's doing, and that helps her um, engage physically. And I'm like, what? And so like so so stuff like that would have been really helpful to hear. And honestly, I wish this would would have happened. I wish. I wish, and I've seen this more and more, that inside of community and discipleship, that people actually talk about sex and talk about these things more and more. So, yeah. Any any closing thoughts? Okay. Uh, one, oh, I go ask, ahead. Yeah. One thing that's just and, totally and I'm going to turn it over to you and ask Megan to come back up, and cool. you can wrap it up. I, I, this is maybe odd to bring up, but I understand me and Rick are not standing six feet apart right now, and you know, for people that are concerned about that, I would just basically. Our families are quarantining together, so um, that's just what's happening here, and we're trying to be as safe as possible, but... Um, we we that, do not live in a commune. We do not live in a commune, no, but uh, yeah, I, I maybe shouldn't have said anything, but here we go. We're going <laughs> to finish with one song here.